on this fifth week of the Novena, our Lord says to us, Learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. At the end of his earthly life, St. Francis de Sales was surrounded by those who loved him most. He was, of course, a, a bishop of the church and uh, was greatly loved by, by all the faithful under his care. And they were requesting of him uh, a final word, uh, a last encouragement, uh, a final sermon, if you will, as he was uh, kind of preparing to, to leave this earthly life, essentially to say, what's the most important thing you can tell us? And so he asked for a pen and paper and simply wrote one word, humility. And that was it, humility. The lives of the saints are, of course, models of humility in so many ways, either because they they themselves possess it or because oftentimes they inflict it upon others. Those are the more fun stories, typically. A couple of those come to mind as I was reflecting on these, uh, this word of our Lord that was given to us today. The first is that of St. Philip Neri, St. Philip being the, uh, the patron saint of comedians. He was a, a great practical joker and was always a rather jovial fellow and, and uh, kind of much to the consternation of his more serious and austere brethren. And so it was St. Philip Neri who uh, a, couple of, a couple of these stories uh, came to mind. One of them was that, uh, that he had a, a confrere, St. John Leonardi, a contemporary, who was a founder of a religious community himself. And so whenever one's a founder of a religious community, you kind of, you think you've, you've done well. You know, you've founded a community, it's begun to prosper. Things are, things are going in a good direction. You can easily kind of get a big head about yourself, thinking of, you know, look, look at what I've done, right? And look at, look at how prosperous it is and all these kinds of things. And so he came to, to visit his friend, Philip, and Philip, you know, greeted him warmly and, and, and welcomed him. And he said, he said, John, I have just the task for you. It's a very, very important one. And of course, John is thinking, you know, oh, well, a very important task. I, well, I'm a very important person, I'm a very competent man. You know, this is, I'm, I'm certainly the man for the job. You know, thinking, of course, some, some missionary endeavor or some, some great catechetical work. And what was the thing that St. Philip needed for him? To take care of his cat. A rather humbling thing. Another story is that of a young brother, a young priest who was just ordained, and, and of course uh, the young priests are very zealous and uh, rather excited to preach and to teach. And so this, this young priest came and gave a, a rousing sermon. It was, it was you know, well received by the community. It was just the, the layout was perfect. It was, it was fantastically done. A plus would be the given, the, the given grade in his homiletics course at the seminary. And the people loved it. And they complimented him on it and raved about it. And, and of course, he went back to the house and began to tell everybody how amazing it was and how fruitful it was and how very good it was and how very proud of it he was. And he began to get a big head about it. And St. Philip, again here, wisely came and said, very, very good. We're very proud of you. Fantastic homily it was. Preach it for the next six weeks, word for word. And so he had to preach it in obedience to his superior again and again and again and again and again and again. And by the sixth time, or by the seventh time, after having repeated it six times, 
the people of God were not very duly impressed with the man because they said, wow, this poor priest is just a one-trick pony. He only has one sermon. He just keeps preaching it over and over again. A good option or a good opportunity for humility for the man. And thus he began to realize that his preaching was not about himself, but about the good Lord. A final story from the saints is that of St. Pius X, someone a bit closer to us, only about a hundred years ago, is when he lived and reigned as sovereign pontiff of the church. And at that time, of course, it was, it was much more the practice of the church to, to be able to heap a whole variety of things upon the Holy Father, quite literally, in the taking up of his office. Today, it's a much, much more kind of simplified form, but there were all these kind of the, the extra regalia and extra shoes and all kinds of things that were being placed upon him. And, and as he was new to the office, he was just overwhelmed with these things, overwhelmed with, with kind of being humbled at the, at the reality the, of the, the reverence that was being given to him as Holy Father. Certainly, he had given it to others, but he as a cardinal had never expected it in the same manner. And so, as all this praise and, 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 you know, literal things were being heaped upon him to dress him in the, in the papal vesture, he began to kind of start to think about this and, and think a bit highly of himself, and at least the temptation was there. But his mother was also there. How blessed a mother to, to see her son become pope, huh? It's a rather fascinating thing. But nonetheless, his mother was there, and she walked up. And she knelt down and kissed his ring, as is the posture whenever one greets the Holy Father. And then she stood up, stuck out her hand, and said, Now you kiss mine, because without my ring you wouldn't have yours. And he kissed her ring. I conclude with that last one because very often it's our mothers who have a way of being able to keep us humble and to help us remember where we came from. Not to be too much on ourselves, but simply to remember that, that we have normal beginnings, that we are humans, that we have failings, that mothers hold all of those fantastic stories of our inadequacies, of the ways in which we've fallen short, which we've made fools of ourselves, whether willingly or unwillingly. And they can remind us of these things every now and then. In the same manner, Mother Church is a mother. And she has the goal of coming to help ensure that we don't get too big about our heads, but rather to remain humble in the things of the world, to remain humble in the manner of living our faith. Humility, you recall, is, is again simply an acknowledgement of that which is true, a true assessment of things. It's not saying that we are worth nothing and we're useless and we have no talents and we have nothing good to offer. That's false humility, which is very often simply pride and a really nice veneer. It's also, you know, it's, it's, it's not these other things of just kind of, uh, kind of quietly staying in the background and refusing to use our gifts. Humility is acknowledging that we are nothing, but our nothingness has been used by God to do fantastic things. And it's acknowledging that, that we are sinners, that we have no claim on the things of God. We have no claim to be able to simply even to be here in the presence of the good Lord in this moment. But he has made us worthy. This is humility, acknowledging our littleness and our bigness at the same time, allowing for that understanding that we are worth nothing, that we are dust, and yet we are worth dying for on the cross. This is the humility that Mother Church wants to instill within us. 
and is to encourage us, particularly in Holy Mass, where she gives us so many ways for us to grow in our humility, to grow in this acknowledgement of things. The penitential rite that we begin each Mass with is a starting point. It's where we go and, and admit first off, first thing out of the gate, to admit that we are sinners, to admit that we have fallen short, that our good intentions have not always proven fruitful, that sometimes we don't seek the will of God, but rather we seek our own will. And we turn to the Lord and we ask for mercy. We strike our breast three times in the Confidior to be able to seek the Lord's goodness and mercy, acknowledging our brokenness and praying that he would heal us. And then during the celebratory seasons, at least, the Gloria follows, which allows us to glorify God because even though we are sinners, he receives us into his embrace. Even in the midst of our sin, he still loves us and he still calls us to be higher and higher in him. The liturgy also has a whole variety of various rubrics, details that tell us how the Mass is to be celebrated. One of those rubrics is the acknowledgement of the Lord, whether by the proclamation of, of the Holy Name or by the mention of the Blessed Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or of our Blessed Mother, or the saint of the day, uh, or the saint in whose, uh, in whose church the feast is being celebrated. At any of those mentions in the sacred liturgy, the, at least for, for those in the sanctuary, the, the requirement is to bow one's head. Certainly a good, a good reverent and devout posture for the faithful as well. To be able to bow one's head is an acknowledgement that we are less than these persons, that we are lower than, to humble ourselves before them and to acknowledge their greatness. In a similar manner, we have the various postures of the Mass, of genuflections and bows, a profound bow being made at the mention of the Incarnation and the Creed, acknowledgement of, of the humility that we are called to have as the Lord first humbled himself, stripped himself of his earthly glory, and came down to take on our flesh. A very humbling thing to have one of such great stature come to serve us. So too the genuflections, to bend the knee or to make a profound knee, a profound bow if our knees are not so cooperative these days. To be able to humble oneself again in all of these things is to acknowledge that there is someone in whose presence we, it is greater than us. We come before them. Certainly before the reception of Holy Communion, Mother Church gives us another opportunity to proclaim our unworthiness. As the host is held up and the behold the Lamb of God is proclaimed, the response of all of us here is an acknowledgement. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Lord, I am nothing, but you have made me something and not just something, but a child of God. I'm not worthy to receive the Eucharist by myself, but you have made it possible for me to do so. I was a wanderer, a vagabond out in the world, but you have invited me into the heavenly wedding feast, into this great banquet where the best of food is offered. This is what we proclaim, our littleness, and yet just how valuable we are in the eyes of God. To this also we add the various ways in which throughout the course of the Mass, the prayers 
Turning to our Lord, we ask Him, we beg Him, we beseech Him, we pray that He would do things. It's a very humble posture, even in our words, that allow us not simply to make demands of the Lord, but simply to ask and to pray, and to know that He is a Father will provide for us. Bring all of this more particularly to the Eucharist itself, In the manner of our reception of Holy Communion, Mother Church here, too, wants to encourage us a posture of humility. First and foremost, a humility of heart, a humility of acknowledgement that that I need Jesus. I can't do this by myself. I don't have the strength to live the Christian life by myself. I don't have the strength to resist sin by myself. I don't have the strength to persevere in virtue by myself. I can't keep my Lenten penances by myself. I can't do anything of good and value in the eyes of God by myself. I need Him. Whenever we have this disposition and are able to go before the Lord in acknowledgement of the need of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, the need for the strengthening of our soul, the need of His grace, the need of His life within us, then we have a proper disposition to receive well for it to bear much fruit within us, to be a saving, a saving gift for our soul. And certainly to encourage this, the church has encouraged for many centuries the posture of kneeling and the reception of communion on the tongue. Both of these postures, of course, are postures of humility. To kneel in the presence of one is, again, to acknowledge that there is someone who is greater than us and is not the priest. It is Christ. It is Christ who comes, and it is Christ before whom one kneels. To kneel is then not to, uh, to rely upon one's own ability to stand again, but rather to make oneself small, is to know that the Lord will lift us up. Reminding ourselves of that of St. Therese, who acknowledging her littleness in the Lord, her desire to be a little one, a child like God, before God, And knowing that a little child doesn't have to try to get up high, they simply have to raise their arms and look at an adult, and very likely what will happen is they'll be picked up. And so much the same with us in the Lord. To humble ourselves before Him, to make ourselves small, is then to know that He will exalt us. He will pick us up to Himself. It is to acknowledge that, that again, we are not able to do these things for ourselves, that we are not worthy but we are being made worthy. In a similar manner, the posture of the reception of communion on the tongue. Calling to mind, of course, Psalm 81, wherein the Lord God places upon our lips in the praying of it, open your mouth and I will feed you. Open your mouth and I will feed you, the Lord says to us. Not just in the sense of of providing food for our nourishment, but even ensuring that he himself is the hand by which we receive it. This is, of course, the the reminder to us that is given to us is it's the hand of Christ that comes to bring communion. It's the hand of Christ that literally is able to feed us in the Holy Mass. And as a priest, there are great joys being able to confect the Eucharist and celebrate the sacraments, being able to be a spiritual father in the midst of a community, to be a shepherd for souls. There are many graces and many joys, but one of the ones, the, one of the places of sorrow that I have as a priest is that I don't get to simply serve at Mass as much anymore, and I don't have the ability to, to regularly simply kneel and receive on the tongue 
with the same posture as I did as a seminarian and as a deacon. It was not possible for me. I would have to have another priest at every Mass. And we know that's not happening. But there is a way in which Mother Church even encourages the priest to recognize that it's the hand of the Lord that feeds, not his own. And here, having to try to change my own experience of the reception of Holy Communion, in the traditional rite of the Mass, it was a requirement. Uh, in the new Mass, it's an option that one can take up. But in the traditional rite, specifically, it, it indicates that whenever the priest is to receive the host, whenever it is time to receive Holy Communion, his hand is placed upon the altar, and then he bows himself to receive. Rather than raising up the host to his mouth, he bows down to receive it. And it's a, a simple gesture, which is intending to attain that same, that same kind of understanding, that the priest doesn't feed himself, that it's the hand of Christ who comes to feed, and the priest must humble himself, lower himself to receive that great gift. It's a posture that, again, is, is helpful for me in trying to remember these own things myself. Remember that I, too, am called first and foremost to be humble in the reception of Holy Communion. And so it's for us all to recognize these things and to pray the grace of the Lord to be with us in our reception of Communion. We might recognize today in this Mass particularly, but in each Mass, that we have no claim whatsoever on being able to receive the Holy Eucharist. But God has made it so. There is nothing of our very selves that gives us the right, but the Lord has chosen us for his household, and we are children of the kingdom. And he calls us to come and feast with him, to dine with him, looking forward to the day, of course, that with the Eucharist will cease to be and we will kneel not before the mystical presence of our Lord and the host, but before the Lord God himself and proclaim his glory and his goodness for eternity. And so our Lord tells us, he speaks to us on this fifth day. Humility is the sister of vulnerability. Learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. Though a prince, I chose a manger as my palace. Though a king... I chose a crown of thorns. Though all-powerful, I chose to walk in, we in your weakness. Though worthy of praise, I chose to be insulted. Though immortal, I chose to taste death. Though I search the depths of all hearts, I choose to have all search into the depths of my heart. Though I am raised to glory, I choose to be found in the form of your daily bread. Bring to my Eucharistic heart this day all of your weaknesses and vulnerability. Do not be afraid to love. Be not afraid to face rejection. True love puts up no barriers. To truly love means that you must choose to be vulnerable and possibly face being misunderstood and outcast. You are weak and, and can do nothing without me. However, my love can be perfected in your frailty and my power expressed in your helplessness. My mother will teach you with her words. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. Be in all of my inscrutable ways. Choose to live in my love, and I will remain in your heart forever. By the bread you eat, he will share my humility in this life and my glory in the life to come. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.